Here in the south of Scotland, there is ample opportunity to get your boots mucky and get up close and personal with some of Scotland's most iconic beasts. People are obviously attracted to Highland cows. And here's wee Shona, here's wee Shona here. She'll bide her time. And when everybody's settled down and eaten, she'll sneak in and get hers. While also getting unique and unforgettable experiences for all the family. I can see a few deer actually on the on the hill there. I mean, we've we've got red deer in their traditional range. Galloway were, was always famous for its deer. Now look at this big boy here, big 18-pointer. He's huge. Monica the Glen. Absolutely. Yes, Scotland Starts Here is back for a second podcast series. I'm Dave Howard with you as always over four new episodes to explore and showcase the very best that the south of Scotland has to offer tourists and visitors. Later in the series, we'll focus on art and literature, family days out, and this area's amazing castles, forts and proud clans, with tips and insights for anyone looking to trace their ancestry back to the south of Scotland. But this time, we'll focus on the adventures and experiences to be had exploring this area's rural heritage. We start right here in the Luce Valley, in the rugged southern uplands between Stranra and Newton Stewart. Welcome everybody and welcome to Kitchen Coos and Use. We are both the farmers here at Aerial Farm. Neil and Janet McQuiston run one of a growing number of farm-based visitor experiences. We've both been here for quite a while. Uh, my family's been in the farmer in the Luce Valley for the last five generations, they tell me. And Janet claims that her family's been farming here since about biblical times. <laughs> Although I don't, I'm not sure she can actually prove that. It just doesn't like it up in here long. <laughs> and we have our Highland cows here, which is which isn't usual, probably for this area. They are a bit of a, a unique thing in in the Loose Valley, and people are obviously attracted to Highland cows. We noticed that that uh, whenever they were next to the roadside, people would stop and take photographs of them using their telephones. So it's always nagged away in the back of my mind that there's a chance here to develop a, a tourist attraction where we could get people actually closer to the cows safely and they could get more amazing pictures of the cows. And so far that idea seems to have paid off for us. Behind us here in the yard is a tractor and large purpose-built trailer with plenty of room for social distancing between family groups. Shortly, we'll head out into the fields in search of Highland cows. Before we load up, I'd just like to talk a wee bit about safety because obviously I want to keep you safe here. You've all hand sanitised when you arrived and I can hear what you're saying up in the tractor here. So if you want me to stop, just speak up and I'll, and I'll hear you and we'll stop if you want to get pictures. Janet's going to ride in the trailer with you. There isn't a question about this farm that Janet can't answer. So please do try and catch her out. I've been trying for 30 years and haven't managed it. Okay, we'll load up. We built up the Highland cows, but they're very important. On the, on the way to seeing them, we're going to see some of the things we do here on the farm to look after the wildlife, because we don't only farm cows and sheep here, we farm for the wildlife as well. So there's quite a few parts of the farm that are designated for creating habitats for wildlife. And you saw one on your way in is the pond that we dug. This was just dug and left. 
and it's a case of build it and they'll come because the bulrushes appeared themselves all the the water mint some of the budweed appeared itself a heron would appear there's trout in it we put trout in it and all the other wildlife appeared because that attracted uh, even our otter who has appeared on a couple of tours on this side this is one of our water what we call our wetlands so that's fenced off so that the cattle can't get into it there's all the flowers that go with it there's primroses and marsh marigolds there's also invertebrates and dragonfly larvae and frogs and there's a beech tree which is just seeded i have no idea how that got here but neil saw a squirrel the other day so i'm assuming that a squirrel must because there's no beech trees near here a red squirrel thankfully yes so here you can see the hill it's like a habitat mosaic out there all the different grasses and rushes and heather and the highland cows are very important in managing that and making sure it's a great habitat for all the wildlife we've got out there if there was nothing on there it would just be the heather would grow a couple of feet high there would be the grass the white molina grass would dominate so the cows help create a habitat for all the different flowers and species. So folks, how's it going so far? Brilliant. Comfortable running the trailer? So the way this works, Janet sits with us in the trailer, but Neil jumps out of the tractor's cab from time to time to pitch in with his own thoughts. So here we are, parked up next to a moss-covered dry stone wall, or dike, separating the lush farm fields from the less hospitable upland moor. Not too fast. There's so much information we haven't even seen a cow yet. <laughs> no, no, well, so yes, I think the cows are over there, but before we get to the cows, I was wanting to talk a wee bit about the dike there. There are a lot of dry stone dikes in this farm, but this is one of the main ones here. This is what we call the hill dike. Yeah. And the hill dike separates the hill land, obviously, which you can see is out there, from the inn by, which is this nice green ground in these better fields that we've got here. Now, the hill dike needed to be built a very high standard and the reason for that is because everything that lives on the hill side of that dike wants to live on this side of the dike because quite literally the grass is always greener on this side so the hill dike is well built our best guess it's probably 150 it could be 200 years old there you are there's no cement in the wall and they're still standing after all this time which is remarkable how that works Right, I'm going to get back in the tractor again. It's lovely, the heated cab in there. It's, it kind of just tell you how warm it is. And I can hear the coos. <laughs> and before too long, the trailer is surrounded by inquisitive, snuffling, red-haired Highland coos. They know full well a trailer load of tourists means a good feed for them. Come on. The short legs are really important because when they're out on the moss out there, they're walking through really boggy, soft ground. And if you've got big, long legs in there, you'd get stuck. But they need wee short legs. Other breeds, you're wanting to breed them longer legged, bigger, but you can't make these bigger. They wouldn't be able to survive in that poor grassland. They need to be small, short legged and big fat bellies which is the engine that digests all that useless grass that's out there. Please stay in your seat while the tractor's moving, as we've said before. 
Janet's going to feed the cows out the back of the trailer. The cows usually get quite animated when we feed them, so I hope you enjoy this next part. Yeah. So while I'm feeding them here, it's all by-products of the food industry. This here's called beet pulp. So when you've got your sugar beet and you make the sugar from it, the pulp is sold, dried up and sold as animal feed. Orange peel as well is dried and mixed into the nut. The agricultural industry makes your food cheaper because the wheat that is rejected for bread making goes on to animal feed. So they actually make money from the waste. The peas that have got the black spots gets dried and pressed and put into the animal feed for good protein. Normally at this stage folks, I would tell the youngsters to work very hard at school or you'll end up being the guy that's opening and closing the gates all day. <laughs> Thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, thank, thank you, very you so much. much. All tips gratefully received. Absolutely. With the tour finished, we're back in the farmyard. There's just time for a quick chat before tea, cake, and shortbread, all home prepared on the farm by Janet. You obviously both enjoy it. This is we, not a chore for you, is it? We really enjoy meeting people in the farm. We're we are pedigree sheep breeders as well, so we enjoy entertaining people. I love baking, so part of the tour is at the end you get to sample some of the baking from the farmhouse kitchen. This is a working farm. We don't want it to be a farm park. We want people to come out and see the animals in their natural environment and see how they work to look, help look after the environment and the wildlife. It's, we, we are in stewardship for wildlife as well. So we want people to see that farmers do care about their animals and do care about the wildlife and how they can all work in harmony together. We feel as if we, if we make it almost too slick and almost make it look as if we are geared up for tourism, we might lose that authenticity. We needed to buy the trailer, which is obviously a, a very that is very slick. It's, it's, a, it's a high quality piece of kit. But we try to stop there and, and uh, keep everything else very much in, in keeping with the, the surrounding countryside. Here. With what a farm looks like. Yes. yes. Yeah. We also do sheep shearing demonstrations. Neil's a qualified sheep shear instructor. So we want, we want to get the message across how farmers care for their animals. So Neil shows how you can shear sheep kindly and caringly and how important it is for the animal. People who are interested in finding out more, people who want to come and pay you a visit here at Kitchen Kooza News, what can they do? What's the website? How can they find out more about you? Well, you'll find our website at www.kitchenkoozanews.com. You'll find out more about the different range of tours that we offer there. There's four different range of tours. There's also gift vouchers, so you'd like to buy somebody a gift voucher. There's a, a very slick booking system where you can uh, book your tour, you can alert us if you have any food allergies and uh, generally you can find out more about the farm and, and be preloaded with some information before you arrive and, and so that you can get the best out of your experience here on the farm. Brilliant. Neil, Janet, thank you both so much. I've had a brilliant day. Oh, oh, good. So glad you did. Hi. Thank you. A farm tour like this is a brilliant, unique and accessible day out for all the family. And this kind of experience is increasingly available across the south of Scotland. For example, we met Julie Hill in Series 1's Active and Outdoors episode. She does expert sheepdog demonstrations at Neth Hill Border Collies near Harriet. 
Since the, the border collie was first mm-hmm. seen in the borders of Scotland and England, a lot of people are quite fascinated and want, when they come and travel into the borders, they want, of course, to see the border collie. So if I want to send her to the right... Seeing as the farm sits only half an hour away from Edinburgh, I thought it's perfect location for letting people, tourists, come in and, and see the dogs working where they were born to do it. You know, on the hills, they see them in real action. Other family farm visits you can look up online include the visitor centre at Creamer Galloway Ice Cream and Kilnford Farm Shop outside Dumfries. Also, in the heart of the borders, just an hour's drive from all three of Edinburgh, Newcastle and Carlisle, you've got Jackson's at Jedburgh. First things first is always... Thank you. Um, If you just introduce yourselves. So I'm Jasmine Jackson and this is my husband Fennec Jackson and the farm has been farmed here since the 70s by Fennec's family. We are in Scottish borders, right on the border. You can see the border hill, the Carter Bar from the farm. When you go to the top of the farm, you can see Pinochuch and the Eildons and Ruber's Law over Hoyk. So we're right in the heart of the Scottish borders. And we've got some... Uh, I'm actually getting my cable nibbled here by... Lucy. One of last... Lucy. And she's one of last year's spring lambs, is that right? One of last year's lambs that ended up without a mother, so we bottle-reared them, and they've become very attractive to children coming to the farm for a toddler session. Some children do nothing else but play with the animals on a toddler session. Quite right. Well, that's a good good place to start then. So yeah. you know, you've mentioned toddler sessions. Yeah, so the toddler sessions run over a block of six weeks and they run uh, spring, summer, autumn and winter. And when the toddlers start to come, they maybe never have been up close to a farm animal at all. So you might have kids that are straight in there, kids that are wary, but by the end of the six weeks, they've all fed a lamb, they've all touched a chicken they've all seen all these animals up close collected an egg whatever it is they've chosen to do in that time Um, and then every week we do a craft activity as well so something different for toddlers to do the most interesting thing about toddler days is even if it's pouring with rain and the wind's howling 99% of the children are outside they all come dressed properly with waterproof gear and the children spend most of their time outside Uh, sometimes the mums tend to hover inside a bit but one of the advantages is the area is safe and secure. The children can only enter and exit from one point, so it's handy that mums can relax when they bring the kids here. And I think it's really nice, actually, you say mums quite a bit, but the amount of dads we've had at yes. the farm this year yeah. has been incredible. Compared to a normal session where you would have children, dads, I think, really enjoy it here. And more generally then, this is unquestionably a working farm. But what's on offer to to visitors, tourists, people that come to the area? Yeah, so mainly we are a genuine, authentic farm attraction. So, and we are aiming to keep it that way. So we really, really want to show people what happens on a working farm. Whether people want to come and they just want to see beautiful animals, they want to see the cows and the lambs at lambing time, or whether they really want to learn about where their food comes and how nice an environment it is here for the animals to live in. They're all outside, they're all in the grass, they're all naturally giving birth. In the fields, they have. There's a goat eating my jacket at the minute. Um, (laughs) Yeah, uh, for visitors when they come, they have various options. At lambing time, it's a brilliant experience because you can go out and you might see a live birth, but you're definitely going to see baby lambs. And then they come back to the shed and they can bottle feed any orphan lambs that are here, visit them. And then we do sort of smaller experiences for families who maybe the kids don't have the attention span to go out on the farm, and they just come for family days and private sessions where they come for an hour. And they meet 
all the animals up close. And here you are, you're literally five minutes off the A68, which yeah. is the sort of main thoroughfare between Newcastle and Edinburgh. You're really accessible for people from some very urban parts of the UK. It's about an hour yeah. from well, Edinburgh an hour and an hour from, hour from Newcastle. An hour from Edinburgh, an hour from Newcastle, an hour from Carlisle. Yeah, having people from the urban areas is going to be great, not only for them to see something completely different and get an education on what happens here, but for us as well, because every different type of family you have here asks different questions, and it's a really enjoyable experience for us to show what happens on the farm. My most interesting one was a bunch of Geordie kids absolutely amazed that cows had tails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, when we were piloting, opening the business, we had a family from the town come out here just to see what the kids would do. There was no fencing, no, no nice stuff that we've got now, just to see what the reaction would be to being in a field with the sheep. And they just ran wild. They had a great time. And they just to physically touch a sheep when they'd never even been in a field with one, which is an amazing experience for them. And it made me realise just how rustic we want to keep it and keep it really connected to the farm and not make it too commercial yeah. because we, we what kids need want, to see we don't want is to be a zoo. real. We want yeah. the kids to interact with the animals. And it and it's a thing that a lot of farms are doing now. They are they are diversifying. We've now got goats on the loose, I'll be back in a minute. <laughs> goats have escaped. I left the gate open. <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot of farms are diversifying and agritourism is something that we are a member of. Um, and it's been a fantastic support seeing what all the other farms are doing in Scotland. And it's a really, really good way to support farming and provide an additional income for the family living here so that we continue to do what we do. So that we continue to have sheep out on the Scottish fields and cows outside and all this, you know, it's a really nice thing to be able to do. There's some fantastic bits in the local area. Um, we welcome a lot of families here and because we have a young family as well it's really easy for us to recommend places so you can spend a bit of time here and then you can head off to Hairstains which is just on the north side of Jedburgh um, and it has a huge adventure playground, a cafe nice long walks for kids so it fits the outdoor theme as well of coming to the farm and then staying outdoors um, and then if you're wanting to go for tea or coffee in Jedburgh there's various cafes, there's some really really lovely cafes in the town and I would always suggest just walking up and down and having a look in all the windows because all the shops are really really lovely and everyone's very welcoming in Jedburgh. A lot of people do ask when they're here looking at the animals can we buy lamb from you or can we buy beef from you and we don't sell it direct from the farm and we don't have any plans to but we have a really really good local butcher he can buy from us and then people can go into the town of Jedburgh and support the local shops and the local butchers so if they go in to use the butchers it's likely they're going to then go and use other local shops so I think that's a really nice compromise. Yeah, as opposed to taking trade from that yeah, butcher. Yeah as opposed almost, to taking yeah. trade from him and it's, uh, it's more effort for us and it might even be more expensive for the buyer. Huge thanks to Jasmine and Fennec. If you want to spend some time on their farm, find them online. They're jacksons at jedbra.co.uk. And as Jasmine says, tourism is, for the most part, an additional income for farm businesses like Jackson's or Kitchen Coos and Ewes. Many also do it because they recognise that where they live and work is special and that there's value in helping the rest of us consumers to understand a bit more about where our food comes from. But of course, the main purpose of a farm is to rear, grow and sell produce. And nowhere is this done better than in the south of Scotland. 
Later this episode, we'll visit a renowned gin producer that goes to extraordinary lengths to offer the perfect product. Elsewhere, you can pick your own fruit at Border Berries. There's more amazing farmhouse ice cream at Over Langshore in the Borders. Any number of fantastic farmers markets and independent breweries and small batch distilleries. And if you haven't already, you should go back and listen to our very first podcast episode. That one was all about food and drink and all that the south of Scotland has on offer to foodies. So, you've seen where the very best dairy, meat and other produce comes from. You've maybe sampled some of what's on offer in delis, restaurants or farm shops. So, what's next? Well, learning to prep, cook and bake it, of course, in the picture postcard, Harbour Town of Kukubri. It doesn't matter which order we started. If you're doing the farmhouse, because that will be the longer proof, start with that one. The soda, obviously, you can go from bringing... My name's Nick Morris, and I'm the very proud owner of Station House Cookery School, which is situated in the heart of Dumfries and Galloway, in the gorgeous little fishing town of Kukubri. Today, we've got a bread-making class. So uh, I'm teaching the students the, the, the four basic different types of bread. So we've got a, a basic farmhouse, we've got an Irish soda bread, then we've got a, a long ferment ciabatta style, and we're doing some Indian flatbreads as well. Yeah, there you go. So you've got the grams there. Ah, the whole amount. We can use the rope. Just about to put a mass of coriander seeds in my... That would have tasted interesting, wouldn't it? Now we're in the heart of your cookery school here. Yeah. It looks like a TV set as much as yeah. anything else. I could see this Jamie Oliver or, uh, or Nigella Absolutely. working behind yeah. the counter there. Well, when we designed it, that was always the idea. So yeah, you're, you're in a beautiful 19th century train station. It used to be the train station. My demonstration room here is what used to be the platform. We've got the, uh, the demo bench at one end of the room. So when students come in for a class, the first part of the day is I demonstrate everything for them. So take them through all of the, the ingredients, the techniques that they'll need to recreate the dishes themselves. They get their, their fact sheets, their worksheets, their recipes, everything is provided for them. At the end of the demonstration, they get to, to taste all of the dishes so they know what they're, they're aiming for. And then the second half of the day, they move through to the practical kitchens. So if you imagine the typical MasterChef kitchen where everybody has their own workstation, their own oven, hob, all of their ingredients, they recreate what they've seen in the morning. One of them is the on-off tar button on the left. So if you put your bowl on, then press that button, it'll return it to zero. For me, good cookery is something which should be at the heart of every home. And the ethos of Station House is very much about encouraging and inspiring people to cook at home, to cook for their families, to broaden what they're able to do in terms of technique and variety, and very much use and go out and support the local producers. That, for me, is far more important than whatever might be going on in any michelin star restaurant. I think the most important cookery that's happening in Britain is what happens in people's homes. In so many ways, actually, it's, it's about family and community yeah. and the time that you spend with sure. your family yeah. over a meal? Well, a lot of anthropologists believe that what actually made us social and made us human is the advent of cooking. Because, of course, when you have to cook food, you need a fire. That fire has a limited amount of time. So everybody comes around the fire to cook. And that's what we now think of as the family meal. 
And so it, there's a very big argument that uh, cookery is what made us the social beings that we are. And so it's very, very important that we maintain those traditions. Your water, to get it exact, before you put it in. But get all of your dry ingredients into your flour first before you put the water in. Now I know that you've got quite a good story about how you ended up in Kukubri. Just tell us that story before okay. we get any further. Yeah, with pleasure. Um, well, I'd, um, I'd been abroad for, for 20 years. I'd been in education and I'd also been in hospitality and food and drink. When I was looking to relocate back to, to UK, I'd combined my 20 years experience teaching with my, my primary love, which is food and drink, and come up with the idea of a cookery school. And uh, to, to search for the best location, I bought myself a camper van. I wanted to search the, the length and breadth of the British Isles, so I started down in Cornwall in England and worked my way up, zigzagged through, through England and then up into Scotland and eventually ended up in, uh, in Dumfries and Galloway. And the night that I, I arrived in Kukubri, a very, very wet and windy, cold November night, my camper van exploded. I was broken down and, and stranded. And uh, in the, the two weeks that it took for the garage to, to fix the camper van, I fell in love with Kukubri. I'd, I'd got to know the local food and drink suppliers, all of the hoteliers, the restaurant owners, and realized that it really was the perfect location for a cookery school. The building that I'm in now, which was the old station building, came on the market the day before I was due to leave. So it really was serendipity. That's how I ended up here. Serendipity and a, a knackered camper van, yes. <laughs> but also good producers and a local kind of food scene yeah. that really captivated you. Yeah, absolutely. Very, very high on my list of priorities was an area that had good primary producers. So we're talking good meat, good dairy, an atmosphere where local businesses are supported. And Dumfries and Galloway has that, you know, in spades. It really does. It's an excellent area for that. Um, we can take one of the spoons just behind you. Four or five miles down the road, we work with Scotland's first assured venison park, Gled Park. So we offer field to fork days where people can go on a red deer safari in the morning, learn all about the life cycle of the deer and what the, the wild plus system is that, that Gled Park operates. And then in the afternoon, they come to the, the cookery school for the venison cookery experience. Also four or five miles away, we've got um, Upper Senec, Sandersons of Senec, that produce some of the most incredible shorthorn beef. Just absolutely amazing. Pasture fed, really well looked after animals. Uh, we also get our free range eggs from them. What I like about those kind of producers is that I'm able to go onto the farm, meet the animals, check that the animal welfare is, is where it should be, and that the animals are enjoying the kind of quality of life they deserve. For our dairy, we've got eighth-generation farmers, Rowan's Dairy, um, who, again, we work with closely. We do collaborative efforts with them. I, you know, churn butter from their cream, and it's it's just amazing produce. And there are so many others. We've got award-winning gin producers. So in close to Newton Stewart, we've got the Crafty Gin Distillery. We've got gin and rabbit days. So, again, you can go and have the tour of the distillery, learn how they make their award-winning gin, and then come back to the cookery school, and I'll show you different ways of cooking with it. As much as possible, wherever possible, I'm always looking to work collaboratively with, with local producers. Nick, if people listening want to book a course, get in touch, find out more, what do they need to do? Uh, it's very simple. We've got the, the website, uh, which is stationhousecookeryschool.co.uk. 
All of the classes are online. But of course, if you do need any extra help, I'm very happy to take phone calls. I'm always really happy to talk. Um, I put everything out that you'll need. Nick Morris of Kukubri Station House Cookery School. What a brilliant story about his broken down camper van stranding him in town. He's definitely made the most of it. Now, Nick mentioned a number of suppliers and collaborators that he works with. And we're taking in two of these in this last section of the podcast. First, another farm trailer tour, this time in the far southwest on the Borg coast. Well, welcome to Gled Park. Uh, My name's Rupert. I'm just going to orientate you. So if you look south, you can see the sea there. 300 days of the year, we can see the Isle of Man. It's only 16 miles away. We've got the Wigton Peninsula over there. If you look north, just behind you, you can see the southern uplands. I think, you know, especially for our visitors from outside of Scotland, this is really, you know, what Scotland's supposed to look like, isn't it? Hills behind and, and the sea in front. Rupert Shaw's farm here has a local breed of white shorthorn cattle. But the big draw is his herd of 80 red deer, that most iconic of Scottish animals, ranging far and wide here over fields and moors. What we do here, it's an hour and a half. People are getting up amongst a park herd. And I think I ought to just explain what that is, because people go, oh, well, I've come to a farm. And of course, people associate farms, meaning, you know, animals are in sheds. Uh, in a deer context, stags are de-antlers, uh, calves are weaned off their mothers. Well, forget all of that. We, in effect, run a completely natural setup for, a, for our deer. What that means is they've got all their five freedoms and they're living a natural life. But they have what I call the wild plus lifestyle, because none of my animals are ever going to be hit by a car. They're not going to sort of suffer from sort of hunger in the wintertime, etc., because they do get supplementary feeding. We'll get you uh, loaded up, Dave, just uh, for your own sort of comfort. We just wipe down between visitors a bit of a scrub. Remember that you're on a farm, so, you know, things can be damp. But certainly in the summer season, you don't need any special footwear. You can see you, it's, a, it's a very low trailer. It's very stable. You're going up a, a ramp. You're sitting on a comfy cushion. So it is one of those things where sulky teenagers can come in their white trainers and still have a fantastic tour with mum and dad because they've not wrecked their outfit. So uh, if you'd like to get in. This is naturally socially distanced. We can't, we can't do it another way. So just to paint the scene, I have got into a, a small trailer and you've just jumped on a, a traditional farm quad bike yes. uh, seen on most farms. The great thing about a quad bike is certainly all small children just love, just love the idea of being behind a quad bike and the rest of it. So I'll start up and we'll, we'll crack off. So while this is another farm trailer tour, it's quite a long trip through a series of pens and very high fences, up narrow gorse-lined tracks high into the hills. This is perhaps more properly a deer safari, going in search where they roam. Maybe not completely, but certainly mostly wild and free. So what happens on the tour is I always start with dispelling a few myths so that people know what to look out for. I think one of the uh, untruths that so many people believe is, oh, I can, you know, I can tell how old the stag is by how many tines he's got. Complete rubbish. You can see this fantastic set here. It's actually only off a three-year-old. 
The other thing is, if I turn them upside down and just explain, this really demonstrates these are naturally cast so in terms of the cycle of the red deer and i always explain this because you're going to see very different behaviors if you visit in may through to the rut in october which is when the tours are stags cast their antlers at the end of march beginning of april all i have to do is sort of pick them up so we always have antler for sale here people like them to make chandeliers decorate their weddings or just as a nice uh, souvenir antler is not bone. You can see that. You see those little sort of holes, etc. Yeah, kind of more porous, isn't it? Yeah. Antler is similar to your fingernails. It's actually almost like a compressed kind of hair. So in terms of the cycle of the red deer, and everyone wants to see the stags, and you're going to see the stags with their antlers on looking fantastic. The cycle is related to antler growth. So the start of their year is when the stags drop the antler, March, April time. The stags then selfishly just eat and eat and eat, get their velvet as big as possible, a kind of purple mass. The velvet frays off in August. They do a bit of uh, work to assist that by rubbing against trees, which is why foresters traditionally hate them. And then the antler is revealed within that. Testosterone levels rise through September. And then in October, we go into the month of the stags. October is about the rut and the roaring. With females only getting pregnant during the rut in October in a Scottish context what that means is calves are always born in June and July so that's a great time to come and visit us all the yeah. lovely little Bambi looking spotted a calves. Top, top visitor tip there fantastic and the weather's always kind as well but it's but it's a wonderful evolutionary thing because wherever you are in Scotland there's good grass in June and July I can see a few deer actually on the on the hill there. Yeah, and of course this is. I mean, we've we've got red deer in their traditional range. Galloway were, was always famous for its deer, particularly uh, Victorian times before the First World War. Uh, South Ayrshire Galloway through a lot of uh, Edwardian sort of shooting lodges and the rest of it. And in fact, it was only in the sort of 1950s when they started the kind of blanket forestry planting, single species kind of Sitka spruce, that everyone decided, right, you know, deer are a pest, we need to get rid of them. Because, <laughs> of course, red deer are ungulates. And what that means is that, like goats, forbs and woody brows are part of their diet. So if you plant a lot of young <laughs> Sitka saplings, a red deer goes, fantastic, mixed leaf salad. <laughs> deer are creatures of the woodland edge. So actually, you know, our scrub and you can see quite dense winds and the rest of it. A, it's natural. It's, you know, how, how the Borg Peninsula always was. But also it's a fantastic environment for the deer because not only is it shelter, but it's a food source. So all this is apple and a, and a few kitchen scraps uh we we don't serve the deer any manufactured food now look at this big boy here big 18 pointer he's huge monica the glen absolutely so we we run two what i would call master stags you can see the other one there really majestic and that's just to make sure because we've got a herd of 80 that all the hinds get covered and then this is this year's calf crop i mean they're all almost the size of their mothers and that is just on mum's milk and uh, you might you might see one suckling in a minute and this natural environment and you can see you know we're blessed with this coastal environment uh, I mean look look at that grass for the time of year plenty of it you know these are the, these are animals that are thriving look at them all looking at us wondering what we're doing <laughs> 
Well, um, there'll be curiosity. Your uh, your microphone looks not unlike, you know, some kind of sort of creature. And interestingly, Heinz, Heinz have yeah, Heinz have been recorded sort of having a having a go at all sorts of things. terms of an opportunity to to get up close in in Scotland I'm not aware of anywhere else where you've you've got this opportunity you know these animals aren't penned close to us it's not a zoo I mean I'm not worried sitting here if I'm honest but I can imagine that it's a perhaps a daunting prospect for some visitors to be this close to such big beasts with with huge horns well this is what's so interesting because of course you know i've explained already how different their behaviors are so if you'd come in october for a rut tour we wouldn't have got this close to the males but you would have seen them doing their bit running backwards and forwards we have a farm instagram account which is very popular and you can have a look at uh you know <laughs> boys doing what boys do slightly more cautious ones checking you out but again you know these aren't animals under pressure they've got the opportunity if they want to come and see you you know or, or if they don't and actually in the really big paddock one of the reasons the tours are an hour and a half is sometimes we might be driving for 20 minutes before people see a deer just to try and find <laughs> and, some you know i've often i've often looked back and 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 seen people with that slight look of you know has he got any but uh, don't worry once once you get to the spot where they are whatever they're doing i mean you've seen that today rupert thank you very much no you're very welcome the crucial question i suppose is how can people find out more how can people get in touch to, to book a visit of their own well uh that's the key thing get in touch get in touch with us directly either either over instagram twitter or the farm webs website if you type gled park into google brings you straight to us there are no others we've got quite a strong internet presence but the thing is we don't you know this is this is about a custom what i would call bespoke experience so you're not going to turn up as part of a chain you can't just turn up sort of on spec because we've got a number of facets to our business so you know this will be a tour tailored to you well thanks to rupert he is online at gledpark.co.uk you can visit them there to organize a safari or a stay on the farm or to order some of the farm's venison or honey now our last stop this episode is another producer recommended by Nick at Station House, an award-winning craft spirits producer in Newton Stewart. So welcome to, to Crafty Distillery. My name's Craig Rankin and I'm the distillery manager here at, uh, at Crafty Distillery. So we have uh, enviable views of, of really the true essence of, of Galloway out our window which really ranges from the awful hand and the, the crags over to our left Directly in front, we have the, the real deep forests and conifer, and over to the right, we're, we're down to the estuary and, and the shoreline. So it's really the, the epitome of Galloway in, in one windowscape, which is, uh, is, is a really cool thing to see. Often with gins, there's a real sense of the location, the place, the kind of nature of, of where it's made. And that's definitely the case here, isn't it? 
It was really important for us here, not just to be a distillery in the area, but really be of the area. So it's a big part of our production to really take on board uh, the provenance and ingredients and staying true to that. So the table you're leaning on there is you know, yeah. loaded with, with different bottles. Talk us through how the bottles on the table there reflect the area that you're in here. Well, first off, the, the table itself isn't quite a table. It's a 96-year-old Douglas Fir tree bar, which is uh, from the local forests, um, Shenanton Sawmill, which is uh, just five miles down the road, who not only grew it in their forest, but produced it through their sawmill. And that's uh, seated on top of the local Galloway granite. So not only the products on top, but the, intrinsically the table itself, but of course the, the products that's loaded um, on top of, of the desk really shout of, of Galloway. I mean, our hills and harbour really captures the essence of the region with its um, noble fur from the forests. We've got the, the bladder axe seaweed from the shoreline and the wheat from the fields. All the way through to our uh, limited edition Galloway editions of uh, Galloway vodka and Galloway gin, which is Scotland's only 100% Scottish gin made from scratch in one distillery which is exclusively Dumfries and Galloway uh, ingredients and botanicals, uh, which is uh, 30 days of foraging and 16 days of process is all for a thousand bottles that we do once a year. So yeah, to say that we, we took our local region into account would be an understatement here at Crafty Distillery. That's brilliant. I mean, absolutely phenomenal. And that last one in particular, Sure. Who does that work? Who goes out and does the foraging and finds the, uh, the herbs and botanicals that go into that? Yeah, so we're, we're a small committed team here at Crafty Distillery. So, you know, all of us, what we're passionate about uh, is really going out there and pushing the barriers in, in every spirit that we, we turn our hat to. Crafty Distillery are happy enough, of course, just to sell you their products, but they've also got a range of visitor offers from a tour of their site to a half day with the experts foraging for local botanicals. We have fantastic offerings um, that start at the very basic where you come, have a tour through the distillery, the production process or botanicals or theory behind the products, the spirits, the gin and the company, uh, you get perfect serves of all of our range afterwards. But we, we go all the way through to actually taking people out into the countryside for our gin escape. That's a full half day where we go out foraging through the forest, the shoreline. We make cocktails from the forage goods, which is a really special thing to share because we were so inspired by the Galloway countryside. In our production, we want to share that passion with uh, people that come to visit. Craig Rankin of Crafty Distillery. Thanks so much to him. They are at craftydistillery.com and look out for their Hills and Harbour gin in shops. How you doing? How was your day today? Because I know you've had a bad week. Sitting at the edge of my seat, waiting for a reply. Felt like I was waiting for Well, that's it for this episode of Scotland Starts Here. I hope you've enjoyed exploring the south of Scotland and that this whets your appetite to find out more and to plan your own visit. For much, much more, not just on rural heritage and food and drink, but everything that the south of Scotland has to offer tourists and visitors, head to scotlandstartshere.com.
Also, you should be following Scotland Starts here on social media for inspiring pictures and more destination tips. You should even download the Scotland Starts Here app to your phone. It's a brilliant resource. It's packed with stories, songs, suggestions for trips and all sorts of places to explore. We're so pleased to bring you once again for this series the musical talent of Borders singer-songwriter Evie Archenhold. We're really grateful to her for letting us use this track. It's called A Thousand Miles Away and it's become our regular theme music. Evie's part of a talented collective of Scottish Borders young musicians publishing music with the help of Sound Cycle, that's the Borders Youth Music Forum. They've got three brilliant albums out called Weave, Warp and Weft. Check them out online at soundcycle.bandcamp.com. As ever, just to finish by saying, please, please rate and review Scotland Starts Here wherever you get your podcasts and share this with anyone else you know who you think should discover the south of Scotland for themselves. We are sure they will thank you for it. Take care and see you next time.